welcome to the GoTo Podcast. In this episode, we have Nora Jones and Casey Rosenthal, authors of Chaos Engineering, discussing key takeaways from the book and from their experience working on chaos projects. This episode builds upon a recent discussion they had on the Chaos Community Show. Created for developers by developers, GoTo gathers the best minds in the software community. Stay up to date with the latest in tech through GoTo's top-rated events held online and in person in Chicago, Amsterdam, and Copenhagen, and by subscribing to the GoTo Conferences YouTube channel, where you can find thousands more high-quality dev talks. Learn more at gotopia.tech. Uh, congratulations on being published, and it's nice to finally meet you in uh, in person, Nora. Yeah, likewise. Nice to meet you in person, too. Um, so I know it's going to come up, uh, so let's just get this question out of the way. Uh, your name is Nora Jones. I'm sure you get asked this all the time about your name. Is there any relation to Indiana? Uh, no, no relation to Indiana, no. <laughs> Told you, James. Okay, um, if I could take you back to the year MMXVII, November 30th, MGM Grand Arena in Vegas, the AWS reInvent Conference. Uh, there were 40,000 people in the audience, another 60,000 people watching remotely, and uh, you had the stage. You spoke about the, the journey of chaos engineering sophistication, uh, the forces of chaos, uh, how did you get to that stage? What was your what was your journey to to end up there? Yeah, um, I was working at a company called Jet.com that had just launched in 2015. Um, they were an e-commerce website, and their marketing team was doing a phenomenal job. But um, as with any good problem, you need to to keep up with the tech, and so we were having a lot of incidents, right? Um, we needed to, to meet the demand that was coming to the website. And, you know, we were meeting almost every morning uh, to talk about the previous night's incident. Uh, so at that point, we had talked about just trying some new techniques. Um, I came across Netflix's Chaos Monkey, and I started implementing uh, a version of that at jet.com. Um, uh, it it went really interestingly. I thought I was making a tool and slowly but surely I realized it was a cultural shift actually. Uh, and the tool was just kind of a catalyst for that. Um, so uh, at that point I had stayed for a little while. I was uh, leading developer productivity and developer tools there. And um, I went over to Netflix for a couple years after that where I was on the chaos engineering team uh, with Casey, although this is the first time we've met in person. Uh, and interesting, yeah, interesting. <laughs> and then, um, was building tooling there for a little while. And that's, that's where I, um, that's where I did the reinvent talk, uh, in 2017, but my journey's changed a lot since then. My, my thoughts have evolved a lot since then even as well, but, um, it's, it's a pretty fascinating field and I think it's going to keep evolving too. Yeah. You, you mentioned you worked on the, the chaos engineering team at, at Netflix, which, um, I believe I, I managed. Uh, was I the worst manager you've ever had? <laughs> no. <laughs> See, James? I, yeah, I, uh, I'm surprised by that. So, yeah, uh, uh, we, I've, I've heard of um, uh, Jet, which, which you mentioned. James and I were talking about this last week. 
um, uh, was acquired by Walmart mm-hmm. uh, and then uh, discarded. Um, comforting to know that even Walmart sometimes regrets what it buys at Walmart. Um, <laughs> but I, I don't often use the word uh, brilliant, uh, except in self-affirmation. Um, but uh, in in less than five years, you've gone from Jet to Netflix, to Slack. Now you run a, a VC-backed uh, startup. Um, is there, if, if you could be self-reflective for a moment, is, is there anything that uh, you would attribute your success to, um, you know, versus other people who have had the same advantages? And, you know, obviously we live in a, in a biased system towards, towards privilege. Uh, but is there anything in particular about your, your outlook on software, your understanding of where the industry is, that you feel has has contributed to your success. I mean, I've I've been so lucky to work with amazing people at each company I've been at. I mean, Jet was kind of a startup environment. I was in hardware um, before Jet, still focused on on reliability, but it was a different journey for me. And I was able to take some of the same theories and in, in approaches towards hardware reliability, and I was actually surprised how much it applied towards software as well. Um, and Honestly, just collaborating and getting to know teammates, like one of the things, so I studied computer engineering back when I went to school. And um, one of the things I really disliked about the major was how individual it was, you know, how um, I I felt that it could be a lot more collaborative. I felt that we were going to build better things if we were working together, if we were talking And I think sometimes the software industry falls into that trap as well, where you put your headphones on and you just code all day. Um, And and I think actually sitting down and and working with my coworkers and and building reliability tools and um, really thinking about the business impacts of things has just completely changed my viewpoint and, you know, has really helped me along this journey. Um, Yeah, I'm still going, but it's a... it's, it's been so fun. Um, yeah, it's, it's really just the people. And so that, that, that perspective of, um, you know, in, in the language of the, the, the field, you know, viewing it more as the, the or at least being open to the, the socio part of the socio-technical system. Mm-hmm. Um, how much of that was influenced? You're, you're still in the, the master's program at, at Lund University. Yeah, I am, um, I am still in it. I believe. <laughs> how, how much of that has, um, uh, has changed your thinking? It, it changed my, my world. I mean, like it was stuff that I knew and felt. And then I came into that first week of class and I felt like I could actually put theories and research and practical applications behind stuff I was thinking and feeling all along. And I just feel like the software industry has so so much ahead of it in terms of reliability, in terms of how we think about making the internet, you know, a place folks, folks can trust from a reliability perspective and totally understand the impacts of what we're building as software engineers, not only to society, but to our businesses. You mentioned collaboration earlier, and um, you, you launched a, a community, uh, Learning From Incidents, which uh, now has a, a website, learningfromincidents.io, um, some very well-recognized uh, names in the industry, uh, uh, submit blogs there and, and post uh, articles and essays. Um, how did that come about? Was that an extension of this um, uh, 
this work from from Lund and and uh, your interest in socio technical systems. Yeah, absolutely. So um, working at Netflix was was so amazing on the chaos engineering team, but it was a very different chaos engineering perspective than I had at Jet. Right? It's most folks at Jet hadn't heard of Chaos Monkey or Chaos Engineering or the philosophies behind it, and we you know we were a startup, right? We were just getting off the ground, whereas Netflix formalized it. And so I was coming into a team that had started building tooling around that. Um, but, you know, as, as you know, Casey, most of the folks using that tooling were, were folks on our team. Um, and I started trying to think about, like, how to get more folks in the organization using it, how to extract their mental models. And so being in the Lund program helped me ask those questions a little bit better so that we could get more people at the table and understand the actual business impacts, refine folks' mental models, and help make the system more reliable overall so that we understand how we're actually working. Um, and so I think shortly after, you know, a month or two at the Lund program, um, I started looking into incidents at Netflix a little bit more. Um, and I would just review previous incidents. Um, Lauren Hochstein was doing a great job at that at Netflix too. And I, I started getting into it as well, like reading previous Slack transcripts, um, looking at pages that went off, looking at who needed to be paged, uh, looking at what dates we were getting paged, looking at what events were happening around that time. Uh, but I started doing that as, okay, maybe we can build something to feed into our chaos tooling to like prioritize experiments based on um, previous incidents that had happened or previous surprises that had happened or um, prioritize certain teams that were maybe underwater in certain regards, um, like around different dates. And so that was why I started looking into incidents there. Um, and um, I ended up doing like a cross-incident analysis of, of a bunch of different incidents just to see which themes kind of emerged from the organization. And it was it was so amazing to do. It took, it took a significant amount of time, but it was like, it was so enlightening to see which people were involved, which teams were involved, which people weren't on call, all these different things. And then bubbling up and sharing that with the rest of the organization helped them prioritize their OKRs, helped them prioritize future requests against um, reliability measures. And at that point I was like, this is a lot of work. I feel like, um, there's probably more people in the industry doing stuff like this. I'm just going to send out a tweet and see who else is, is doing stuff like this because I want to talk to them. I feel like it's going to be more beneficial for us all as an industry if we're talking about some of the stuff we're finding because then we can all improve together. Um, and so I, I sent out a tweet about starting a learning from incidents community. And I think I got about 200 DMs that night of folks wanting to join. Um, I wanted to keep the community small just to, to make sure that we were you know, getting to know each other because we were sharing, you know, um, specific things about our companies and our incidents. And, and so I wanted it to be a, a tight knit community. And then we ended up learning a bunch together. And so um, I wanted to open source those learnings further, which is why uh, I started the learning from incidents.io website. Um, and we've been so lucky to have a, a number of, of great folks write blog posts on there about their chop wood and carry water stories uh, at their companies on how they're doing this. Um, and it's, you know, I think a lot of folks see the word learning and they're like, okay, well, you have to do more than learn. You have to fix, but it's, you can't fix until you're learning how the thing happened to begin with. 
And so I think that's one of the things I'm trying to, to help uh, folks understand as well, too. And it, it, and it feels like you're you're on the, the press for if you if, if you haven't already opened up a, an entire new discipline, right? It's it's blue blue skies uh, uh, ahead. Um, where does where does that community go next? Yeah, it's it's a great question. Um, I see that community evolving into a number of different things. Um, I, I would like to us to, I mean, folks are are sharing some of their their post incident reviews in there. And they're getting feedback from folks that are not at their companies. Um, uh, I started my my own company around the the incident space too, and and we're not ready to share stuff yet, but we will be willing to soon. We will be able to soon, and um, I think it's going to be a lot of fun to to share some of the the post incident world there as well. Maybe I can inject here, um, Nora. This is this has been something that I've been kind of thinking about it and wondering about, maybe you could kind of speak to this. It's like, um, we have, we have, uh, Netflix is kind of this place that has, that has really, uh, been a launching pad for a lot of interesting startups. And, um, and we see that over the years, like, like, like both, both Casey and, and, uh, Nora yourself, like both of y'all have startups coming out of this field. What made it, what made Netflix particularly successful in, and being able to help people, um, see their vision, being able to uh, kind of tackle these problems and then spread this to the, uh, to the wider audience. Casey, do you want to take that first? Uh, no, I don't recall being there. <laughs> um, that's, you know, it, I think you said earlier you had recalled being there. <laughs> um, it, Netflix was an amazing place to work in, in a lot of different ways. Uh, they, they really share freedom and responsibility. And so, you you can work on what you want to work on, but you have to be able to back it up. You have to be able to own it. You have to be able to share it. One of the things that was really great for me at Netflix, although sometimes um, it, it could be a lot, was folks on in the reliability organization had to play every single role. I had to be a product manager. I had to be a designer. I had to be a back-end engineer. I had to be a front-end engineer. I had to be an internal evangelist. And I got good at, at a bunch of those different skill sets just by being there. And I think it was part of the Netflix culture that, that really helped with that. But a lot of those skill sets um, helped me find my way in, into starting my own company as well. Um, and, and so I, I'm so grateful for that experience. At best, I think those those companies um, at best have a generative uh, uh, culture uh, where there's very little bureaucracy. Um, but uh, of course, uh, aligning an entire uh, company to, to those kinds of principles is not always easy. Yeah, yeah just as an outsider looking in uh, at, at Netflix, Blockbuster 2.0, how did it become the place that <laughs> generated all this like you wouldn't have suspected that if you were to write this down in like a in a, in a book you wouldn't have thought oh that's that's the place where innovation is going to come from um and and in your in both of your books uh, chaos engineering it had that uh, you know a lot of those pieces but i think that's kind of hearing um you talk about that is really helpful in the book you talk about using a facilitator to investigate an incident uh much like is done in other high stakes industries medicine aviation uh and maritime um, can you, can you explain, can you, uh, uh, explain how that relates to, to chaos engineering and, and, um, uh, you know, some of, some of your, your work in the book? Yeah, uh, absolutely. So, um, 
at Netflix, you know, we, we had built a, a, a really great system and, um, and we could do a lot of things. Like we could inject failure safely in production. Um, but we had this like giant form for folks to fill out if they wanted to do it. And it was a pretty daunting form. And it's not like folks were, were thinking about doing chaos experiments on all the time, unless they were the four of us on this team, we were thinking about it all the time. They were thinking about it maybe once every few months. And so seeing a giant form asking what um, business metric you want to impact can be um, kind of scary for, for folks apparently. And so doing some facilitation techniques at Netflix was, was really helpful. Like talking to teams and, and asking um, what kept them up at night. And, and if you actually had time talking to folks individually and seeing how mental models differ between folks on the same team, seeing how mental models differ between different tenures on the same team, different roles on the same team, different pieces of the system on the same team, like a really good facilitator can extract that out of folks and find those gaps. Um, so when I went to Slack, we had been, um, we had been rolling out Envoy and folks wanted to do some chaos experiments on it. And so um, I started asking the questions I had put uh, in, in the chaos book, right? Um, and I had, I really grouped with people on the team. We filled out a lot of pre-work to be able to run the chaos experiment. And by the time we got about 75% through um, facilitating the experiment and preparing for it, we realized we weren't actually ready to roll it out. And we didn't even need to run the chaos experiment to know that. Um, it was just asking those questions. You said a really good facilitator can pull those things out. Um, how, does, how does one become a really good facilitator? I, it's, it's a good question. It's, it's not being the expert, um, but being able to dig into things and in different words that, that someone tells you about a situation. So if they're, if they're saying, yeah, this part of the system is, is very flaky, not being like, oh, yeah, I, I know I, that tipped over last night, even though you do know, asking them, oh, what do you mean it's flaky? Can you can you elaborate on what that word means? And I know that can be kind of awkward, especially with folks that you've worked with for three years. Um, I remember in a post-incident review once, I was asking someone what tool they used to make a configuration change. And they were like, Nor, I, I made a change with you in this system like a couple weeks ago. Like, you know, they, they were just looking at me. I'm like, well, humor me for a second. And I think being a good facilitator is all about being able to kind of remove that ego and, and ask some of the silly questions that you might know the answers to, but it's really not about the canonical answer, right? It's about how someone else views the system because then you can see the gaps between how they view the system, maybe how you view the system, maybe how other people in the organization are viewing that system. And you get to see how you actually work versus how you think you work as an organization. It kind of bubbles things up to the surface that folks have maybe been ignoring that folks didn't actually know exists and it creates learning opportunities in the organization. But there's a big, big, big psychological trust and, and safety component too. If someone doesn't feel comfortable stating, Hey, how does this work? Right. The, the facilitator has to be confident in that. I usually recommend that person being an engineer, someone that is well-respected in the organization and can have these conversations with folks without fear. Um, and also the folks on the other end, that's why it's important to do these in one-on-one -on -one meetings too. 
so that if they say something they feel is silly or they're describing a system in a way that it actually doesn't work like that, they have they have the freedom and comfortability to do that because it's not reflecting on them. It's reflecting on the system and the organization as a whole on how they're disseminating information to folks. Because ultimately, if they're working under different assumptions, you're going to be having a weird system overall, but you need to figure out what's, what's making those oddities happen. I I, I like that uh, picture of um, uh, surfacing gaps in people's mental models. That's um, that's an interesting answer. The the canonical answer is actually read the book, um, but that was that was an interesting answer. <laughs> yes, there's. I put a large set of questions in the book to help you become a facilitator. <laughs> Let's remind all listeners to, uh, if you want those access to those questions and much more, get the Chaos Engineering book. <laughs> You'll never believe question seven. It's wild. <laughs> I believe we have some questions on the line. Hi, Nora question for you. Yeah. So what is it we can learn from chaos engineering that we can't already learn from a well-executed root cause analysis? Yeah, I think they're two very different things. Um, A a well-executed root cause analysis, I don't know exactly what that looks like. Um, I would say that there are well-executed post-incident learnings that you can do but they're two separate things. Chaos engineering is proactively looking at things, and I, I think they're inextricably linked. I, I like to think of them as sort of a feedback loop. You kind of can't do one without the other. You need to be able to learn from your incidents, right? And so you can do different chaos experiments. You can do better chaos experiments. You can know where to experiment, who to bring into the room, um, if you should fix it or not, Um those kinds of things can't be totally learned without learning from your incidents first. Um, but I wouldn't call that a, a well-executed uh, root cause analysis, but that is, that's not for today. <laughs> maybe we should just execute our root cause analysis uh, better. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Any other callers on the line? Hi, long-time caller, first-time listener. My question is, uh, what's the best way to adapt a post-mortem template for use with chaos experiments? Yeah, um, I, I, there's a few different ways I would suggest that answer. Um, I think you can look at a post-incident template and also look for opportunities to do chaos experiments in the future. Like, look at what surprised us during the incident. Look at who we needed to rely upon that we weren't sure we needed to rely upon, what parts of the system we needed to rely upon. And you can use that to feed into future chaos experiments. Um, but you can also use some, some guides with chaos experiments too. Like um, what are our expectations with this experiment? What are our hypotheses? Um, uh, who do we need to tell about this experiment? When should we run it? Why does it matter when we run it? Um, I think the two I, I would call them guides rather than templates so that folks don't feel like they have to stick to them. But I think, um, again, those, those two worlds are, are, are fairly linked um, and they can be used as a feedback cycle into others. Um, I would recommend mentioning chaos experiments in post-incident um, guides, and I would recommend mentioning incidents in, in chaos experiment guides as well, because um, that will help you see over time how you're actually doing, which chaos experiments you've run, um, which incidents have been associated with them, what the impacts of those incidents were. 
Well, thank you so much for coming on the show, Nora. Um, best of luck to you at Jelly. Uh, and I hope people um, read your book so that they don't uh, mislearn the things that they should have learned because they didn't learn how to learn from incidents. Thanks for listening to this episode of the GoTo Podcast. Head over to gotopia.tech for lots more content from the brightest minds in software development.